What's up, everybody? This is Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers. Coming to you in between a double-digit loss to the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks and a looming three games in four nights coming up over the next few. We have a trip to Toronto tomorrow, followed by a trip to Brooklyn to face a weird Nets team that's uh, a little bit uh, Jekyll and Hyde right now, and then back to Indy to face the Raptors again. So Raptors 2 out of the next three games. We're going to hit the Milwaukee game in this episode. We have some Karis LeVert news that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about rotations and preview the next few games. Alex, you're with me today. Justin is busy counting Giannis autograph cards um, and doing some cool stuff that, uh, that means that he can't make it today. But uh, he would be... Uh, pretty disappointed, I think, with the loss to the shorthanded Bucks uh, a couple of days ago. I think uh, it was never really in doubt. Uh, there was a time where I think we cut it to five in the fourth quarter. Had a terrible uh, third quarter again, but overall, just not a very good showing overall against the Bucks, in my view. What do you think? Yeah, look, anytime we go against Giannis, I just expect a loss. Like yep. since Thad left, we really have not had anyone that can not even, not even guard him. We, we haven't had anyone that can slightly slow him down. So I feel like he had the easiest 30, 10 and nine game maybe I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, M- M- Middleton had 25. Grace Nallen was knocking down shots, which I absolutely hate. Um, <laughs> but, but, Is he yeah, the most hated uh, player in our division? Uh, like, like, I, I, I don't, maybe Kelly. Olenek he might be one of the most hated right? players in the NBA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kelly Olynyk plays for Detroit. He plays for Milwaukee. We've got some terrible players in our division. <laughs> we absolutely do. They're, they're literally two of the most hated players in the NBA, and we have to play him four times a year. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. What did you think of Giannis's brother starting and playing? You know, nearly twenty minutes. He's like kind of come along was, yeah, this he season. He's uh, he's looking a lot better. Yeah, I thought he he did his job. Like he stood in the dunker spot. He had a couple yep. of uh, finishes at the rim. He rebounded. Like he literally did all you could ask for him. Uh, obviously, he wouldn't start if Lopez and Holiday were there. But yeah, you know, you kind of feel like he was there because of his brother, right? Yeah. But now he's he's actually there because he can play. So, you know, he showed he has some stuff. My biggest takeaway from the game though was. Lavert coming back cannot come soon enough because Brogdon, I think he's starting to struggle. Yep. You know, he had seven turnovers. I think him having the ball in his hand that much, you can see the cracks starting to show. Yeah, we were talking before the show about that reverse layup that he tries um, that <laughs> never seems to work. I mean, he took a team high 21 shots. He had 25 points on 21 shots. Uh, only got to the line for four attempts, which given how much he's handling the ball, given how many times he's shooting, you would hope to get to the line a little bit more than he does. And it just seems like he's a little bit outmatched. And we talked about last episode, but it doesn't seem like we have um, any more than Malcolm Brogdon trying to get to the rim. Like Domas can bully his way inside, but he's starting from the paint and trying to get to the rim and potentially getting blocked. It's kind of predictable at the moment. 
Um, and the only unpredictable player that we have is Chris Duarte. I think that's <laughs> that's the flair in our offense and the unpredictability, the creativity in our offense is coming from Duarte. We saw obviously the highlight against Giannis, which went viral and you know filled every Pacers Twitter fan with immense joy. But um, it, it it seems like, as you say, Levert coming back is going to cure some of that because he's creative. He can set up his teammates. He can, you know, get to the rim. He can get to spots on the floor. But Malcolm's kind of the only one that can do that. Whereas Duarte at the moment, given his Clay Thompson sort of comparisons that everyone's done over the course of the the summer, Clay Thompson light, Dominican Clay, that sort of stuff. Like he he can potentially take someone off the dribble for a pull-up jump shot. He can, you know, step back for a jump shot, but he's not like consistently going to get to the rim and finish. That's not his game. He's not that physical slashing guard. He's a shooting guard, um, a traditional shooting guard. So we need more creativity, particularly off the bench. Uh, And I think that's where it's going to be really interesting to see what the makeup of this starting lineup is. I know we talked about it separately, but I mean, would you start? Karras over Duarte? Would you start Karras over Justin Holiday? How would you structure the rotation so that, you know, that bench that Justin rags on with good reason so much yeah. is kind of set up for success? I feel like I'm really in two minds about this because the selfish part of me says, yes, I want Duarte starting. Like he deserves to the way he's playing. But at the same time, you know, if you put all your bucket getters in the starting lineup, who's scoring for you off the bench, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, I'll give credit to Justin for this one. He came up with, well, why don't you play him like the Tyler Hero role right now in Miami where he doesn't start, but he finishes games and he plays like 30 plus minutes every night. So I think that will be the role for Duarte going forward. I just think Justin Holley is a, kind of a better fit. Like he doesn't need to do anything on offense. He just stands there, catch and shoot. And he's probably our best perimeter defender as well outside of Tory Craig. So I think that right now, as much as the Pacers fan in me like wants to say Duarte, Duarte, I'll probably uh, say Justin for the long run. I actually personally think that I was listening to another podcast today. Zach Lowe was talking about the Bulls and how they're staggering Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan throughout games so that one of them is always on the floor. I kind of think we have to do the same thing with Brogdon and Levert to an extent, just yep. because of the lack of creators on the bench. I mean, y- y- of course you start Karis LeVert. Of course you start Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you know, Duarte could start if you want him to, if it, if it matters. I don't really think it matters in the, you know, fourth, fifth game of his career. I don't think he much cares. He seems to have a pretty carefree, positive attitude towards basketball and probably understands that as a rookie, he's not going to start every game of the season. So you can probably take that chance. But I think the where the rotation needs to um, be emphasized is that we need one of our starting guards on the floor at all times. Because as I said, Duarte's, you know, not a get to the rim, get to the line repeatedly sort of guy. He he can have those, you know, mismatches and he can create mismatches and capitalize on that. He's a really mature offensive player. I think we've seen that over the of course the last few games which bodes well for his career at NBA level. But you, I think you you can't afford to have, say, a backcourt of Duarte and McConnell on the floor for long, long stretches. Because while McConnell can set up his teammates, while he can get steals, he can get assists, you know, he 
can get that um, free throw line jumper that he likes so much. Uh, I don't think you can rely on that backcourt to carry your offense for long stretches of the game. I think you're going to need one of Brogdon or Levert or thinking into January, February, TJ Warren on the floor. Because that's, I mean, if you had a McConnell, Duarte, Brogdon, O'Shea, Brissett, and a big out there, for example, off the bench for stretches, I think that would potentially work quite well because Duarte and Warren kind of complement each other quite well. Warren does his best work inside the paint. Um, Duarte does his best work outside the perimeter. So, you know, they could complement each other quite well. But um, I still think we have a hole at that forward position, as you said, like Giannis, um, he went off, uh, but it looks so easy and effortless. Uh, we're about to play Toronto. Thankfully, they don't have Siakam. We're about to play Brooklyn. They will have Kevin Durant, and you know what he's going to do against Domas Sabonis because he's going to play power forward and he's going to be matched up on Domas. That's not going to end well at all. Um, but it, it just seems like we have an inability to guard these guys that are, you know, small ball fours, old school small ball fours that are now just the prototypical power forward in the NBA. Mm. And well, this is my question to you. Do you think, do you think you would have liked to seen Tory Craig have a shot at Giannis yes. yesterday? Cause I don't yeah. think he guarded him for a single possession, which uh, look, I understand what he was trying to do. Like he threw, I think, five or six different plays at Giannis, but Tory Craig didn't got him once. So in what did the you Brooklyn get? game, why did you sign Tory Craig game, if not for this? Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So you don't have to start him, but if Kevin Durant has like 15 points in the first quarter, I think Rick Carlisle has to look at Tory Craig and say, you know, he's our best chance. I'm not saying he's going to shut him down, but I think he's your best chance on the roster right now. I think the other thing that we need to consider as well is that Giannis was starting at center beside his brother in the front court. Yeah. So that created a matchup nightmare for us defensively because Miles got into foul trouble super early again. And we can talk about the Miles stuff that's that's been bubbling on our social media over the last couple of days. But Miles got into foul trouble because he was guarding the best player in the league. And uh, the best player in the league was playing at center, even though he can handle the ball like a guard, shoot threes, get to the rim, get you know 15 rebounds and 10 assists a game if he wants to. He's, you know, you, you can't expect anyone to be able to guard Giannis, but particularly your center that he's supposed to be a weak side rim protector. So like, why wouldn't you throw Torrey Craig on him for a stretch? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just, I mean, you know, Torrey Craig had six minutes, O'Shea Brissett had 23 minutes. Jeremy Lamb had 15. We'll talk about Goga in a second, but like just try different looks. Just just try to see who could potentially have, you know, an opportunity to capitalize um, on that matchup. You're never going to stop Giannis, but can someone get one possession that forces him into a bad shot? Because that's better than none. I, I want to talk about Goga. He had a really good stretch uh, and some good moments in this game. He finished two for eight, seven points, nine boards. Uh, he had a couple of steals. He had some hustle plays, some offensive rebounds. You know, this was the best that he's looked for probably 12 months now, I think, um, which is a little sad to say, given that it was a stretch of probably three or four minutes that really where he got most of these stats. But I mean, if we need to see this every game, right? 
Uh, yeah, that that I think it was the second quarter, right? He yep. looked fantastic, and he was going against Giannis. Yeah, like, he was actually bully balling Giannis. I was like, "What the hell? Where is this Gogovitaze yep. coming from?" Um, and you know, uh, yeah, it, it's tough because he missed his last six shots. So people will look at the box score and go, "Oh, you know, it's another Goga game." But uh, I actually, you know, I'll give this to Rick Carlisle. I respect him because that's one thing. One thing I think we're going to see throughout the entire season, he'll ride the hot hand. Or if if someone's playing really well. He'll let you. He'll let you continue playing. So, um, shout out to him for trying Goga. He did that with O'Shea against Miami, and it worked. Uh, so early on, I think we're seeing Rick just try some new things. Um, yeah. So Goga has that team option coming up this off season. Uh, you know, this is his last chance really to prove that he's uh, worth staying on the paces. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, I read a tweet. I think it was Tony East tweeted out today that the team have five days to determine whether they're going to pick up that fourth-year team option. So it's going to be really interesting to see if that is done because um, that will signal whether they've given up on this kid or not. And that's a sad thing to say because I want him to succeed. I've got his jersey, but um, at the same time, he's created a bit of a roster nightmare for the Pacers over the past few years because you feel obligated to play your first round pick. He's your backup center off the bench. It's meant that they haven't um, got the the centers that they've had in previous years, like your Al Jefferson's and your Lavoy Allen's and your Jan Mahimni's and those guys that are off the bench that can just kind of give you five, six minutes, a half, and get you a few boards and hold up that end of the floor or that um, hold up around the rim and, and do what they need to do as a center, try and protect the rim a little bit, get bought, get rebounds, that sort of stuff. So um, this was the sort of game that we need from Goga every night. We need him to average like 6.6 rebounds and a block. That, that's got to be the standard that he sets. Um, and he cannot afford to you know, go back to where he has been. Like this should be now the expectation for him. And if the team are not confident that he can deliver that, they probably won't pick up his option. I mean, it's probably going to be a couple million dollars. Um, They're committed long-term to all of their starters, except for uh, TJ Warren, who I think, you know, is, has, has the expiring deal and they're going to want to save as much money as they possibly can so that they can offer TJ Warren uh, the next deal 
at a slight increase in salary because 12 million is is not going to be enough for him next year regardless of his injury status i think so i think he's going to he's going to need at least 14 or 15 to be able to be re-signed so i think um i would love to see another outing by Goga against Toronto. Toronto are a bit thin at center right now. They've got Boucher, they've got Birch. Um, they they don't really have that star big man. So if uh, one of our guys gets into foul trouble and Goga is called upon, then this is the best opportunity he's going to have to earn that fourth year team option. Um, because against Brooklyn, he probably can't see the floor given, uh, given their lineups. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he can, maybe he can't. He probably can't go with Claxon from a uh, athleticism standpoint, but maybe he can bully him like he bullied Giannis for a second there, but it was too fleeting. It was only like, as you say, about three or four minutes in the second quarter. And that's kind of all we saw. I want to touch on um, Jeremy Lamb. He had a bit of a mixed game, hit a couple of threes in solid moments. He scored 11 points. Um, you need double-digit scoring from Jeremy Lamb to win, don't you? Yeah, well, I'll actually give credit to him because in the Miami game, he hit some big shots, right? Like, he was four from yep. five from three, as we said. Uh, he knocked down a couple against the Bucks. So, hopefully, fingers crossed. I know he's been popping a lot of slack from Pacers Twitter, but fingers crossed that jump shot can come back because, yeah, as you said, we need him. Like, right now, without Warren, our bench is thinner than ever. Uh, and we just don't really have any scorers coming in that second unit. So if he's playing, you know, he doesn't give you anything on the defensive end, so he needs to score the basketball, and uh, it, it looks like his confidence is slowly coming back, uh, at least I think. Definitely. It looks like he's more comfortable. I mean, I still think that he's a prime trade candidate for this team, given Duarte's kind of um, yeah. rendered him uh, superfluous to what we need in this roster. I don't know what that trade looks like. I don't know whether it's a lamb and Goga for something um, or what what it could be, but I, I still like Thad Young in, in that spot. And I'll probably mention Thad Young's name every second episode from now until the trade deadline. Um, but it's, it, it's, you know, we've got some challenges coming up in this roster and uh, even with Levert back, it's going to be difficult in this stretch. Um, I want to touch on Miles. He's... Uh, suffered a fair bit of criticism today from, I believe, Greg Doyle from Indie Star. Um, and Alex, you've been a pretty outspoken supporter of Miles uh, over the past couple of years. Um, you had a response to that article. And I, I want to hear your view on, I guess, the opinion piece that was written and the output of Miles this season from sort of the highest of highs to the lowest lows. I mean, you know, he, he 1,000% has had his struggles this season, right? Like foul trouble has been keeping him out of games. Um, but, but I mean, I think it's just ridiculous, man. Like this is a sad attempt at getting clicks. I mean, we're four games into the season and we're doing this. Like, oh, it's just, it's tiring for me, man. Like, I get it. Like Miles Turner is a pretty polarizing player, right? Like I get it. Uh, people seem to either love him or despise him. Um, I just think it's hilarious that we've waited four games, right? Like normally people wait to like the later end of the season to start slandering Miles, but they've yeah. gone straight in this year. And and then, you know, the Twitter sources quote unquote came out and said, we've been trying to trade him for two years. Like, come on, man. Like 
Uh, the, the timing of it is what gets me. Like, he played 14 minutes against the best player in the planet, man. Like, come on, dude. And that's the article you write. I, I just think we can do better. Yeah, I agree. I think he, he cops an unnecessary amount of flack. He deserves to cop some flack for the last two games. He's got into foul trouble mm. too easily. He yep. has, you know, not performed up to, I'm sure, his own standard. And to be frank, the, the only thing that really matters is the standard that, A, he sets for himself. And then secondary to that, the standard the team sets for him. All right. I saw an article literally yesterday before this Doyle article came out. And it was about John Collins. And it was by a Hawks beat writer, and it was literally just titled Hawks player John Collins needs to uh, stay out of foul trouble going forward. Like that, that's what the article was written. Simple. Why would you not just write that same article about Miles? Like, uh, it's, I think it's just the extra stuff they throw on there. It, it seems really unnecessary to, you know, take two games where he's in foul trouble in a row, particularly after, you know, a career night uh, a few days ago where he scored 40 points. Um, it seems really unnecessary to just say it's over for Miles Turner in Indiana. That's not the case. The team's not going to give up on him after two get poor games. Once again, Miles is a guy that can really capitalize on the matchup against Toronto. Toronto are thin at big and, you know, potentially Miles can, can get off some shots like he did against Washington, similarly thin at big. So, you know, potentially we can, we can do something there with Miles, with Domas, Etc. Um, but to say that, uh, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, after two games where he was in tra- foul trouble and, and played barely a quarter um, seems like a, as you say, a bit of clickbait, which is unfortunate because we don't really want to aim for that, particularly with this team. We kind of want to build things up. Uh, it was so toxic last year. We've started well from a chemistry standpoint. We've started well from a, you know, a vibes, a fan base standpoint. There's a bit of frustration around losing close games, but I think everyone's expectations are pretty tepid this season for this team. So, and I think they're pretty realistic. Um, And Duarte has been a, a real breath of fresh air. So let's not ruin the vibes by trying to, write a, an article saying that one of the uh, longest tenured players on the team needs to go. Cause you know, we played four games. Let's, you know, let's give it a month. Let's give it a month at least turning our attention to Toronto. Uh, we've got Toronto followed by Brooklyn followed by Toronto. Again, we will come to you uh, either just before the back-to-back or in the middle of that back-to-back, but uh, against Toronto, what are you looking for? Who are you scared of? Who are you, attacking what are your thoughts about the raptors overall um i think van fleet he's one of those like little little guards that can get past people and brogdon's had some trouble with those so i would look out for that matchup uh indiana legend og ananobi (laughs) i feel like he could uh he could have a big game against us i know adam that will uh, frustrate you to no end but yeah, those are probably the two guys that I'm, I'm looking at the most. With, with no Siakam, obviously, if he was playing, he would be the number one matchup. This makes me sad every time we play Toronto. I just can't escape OG. I <laughs> uh, can't escape him in like fantasy basketball. He always tortures me whenever he's uh, against me. He always tortures the paces when he's against them. And I, you know, it's just sad times. I, I'm worried about Fred Van Vliet's ability to go off in this game. The paces have historically really struggled against small guards that score a lot and Fred Van Vliet has proven to be 
really, really good in that role. So, you know, I think the uh, the over for points total for Van Vliet is uh, is in real, um, real good territory there for the Raptors. So it will be, I think it'll come down to the ability of Domas and Malcolm to continue their strong run. And uh, I think we can rely now on Duarte to have around, you know, the 10 to 15 points, which is funny to say after four or five games, but he's really reliable as a rookie. Um, and Domas and Malcolm to have 20 each at the very least. It's going to come down to the guys like Miles, like Jeremy Lamb, O'Shea Brissett, Justin Holiday. They're all going to have to contribute because I think we, we now have at least two guys that are borderline all-stars and one rookie who is, you know, far outweighing any expectation that we had of him. But um, I think that is probably the key to the game for us. Consistent performance right down the box score. And that's going to be the case until Karis LeVert gets back. Um, Karis LeVert is questionable for this game. What would you put the percentage chance at that he suits up? Jeez. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think they'll be more cautious with Karras, so I'll probably go like 60%, 70% maybe. I think he'll play the Brooklyn game there. What do I, you reckon? I was about to say, I think it would be apropos to play the uh, the Brooklyn game, number one, because he played there yeah. uh, and obviously had that condition that um, uh, was fortunately found and, and dealt with. Uh, he was traded. He didn't ask to leave. He's got a good relationship with that fan base and you know, gave them everything he had in the time that he was there. So I hope, I actually really hope that he gets to play in Brooklyn because he deserves the flowers that he's going to get from that crowd. Um, And uh, he was a, you know, a servant of that team through some pretty tough times and a lot of injuries, particularly in the bubble. So um, I think he deserves that recognition and that would be a really cool way to begin his season. Not that I wouldn't love to see him out there against the Raptors, but regardless of whether he plays in the next game or not, I want to see him against the Nets. That's all for us this week on the Pacers podcast. We'll come to you over the next couple of days. Hopefully we can get over the Raptors and we have some good news for you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.